The first reading this morning is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 11, beginning at verse 19. It can be found on page 139 of the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, we hear how the early church fulfilled Jesus' commission to the disciples to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth before being introduced to the vibrant church in Antioch. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, and they spoke the word to no one except Jews. But among them were some men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, proclaiming the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced, and he exhorted them to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for an entire year, They associated with the church and taught a great many people. And it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. At that time, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine over all the world. And this took place during the reign of Claudius. The disciples determined that according to their ability, each would send relief to the believers living in Judea. This they did, sending it to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. The second reading is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, beginning at verse 31. It can be found on page 70 of the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, Jesus invites us to consider, are we judging him by our expectations or examining the evidence as to what is really going on? Luke 7, chapter 31. To what then will I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine and you say he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking and you say look a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Nevertheless, 
wisdom is vindicated by all her children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Rosemary. Good morning. Shall we pray together? Lord, may my mouth speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart bring understanding that your Holy Spirit would, would teach us this morning and awaken our hearts, expand our minds and shape our identity in you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. They were turning the world upside down. Nobody saw it coming, least of all those closest to the action. The occupying forces thought they'd crushed it. The authorities believed they'd triumphed. It shouldn't have happened, and yet it did. A movement had broken in which still today is the most enduring and influential legacy of the ancient world. A revolution in habits and values so topsy-turvy, so kind of upside-down, Countercultural, yet which has proven transformative like nothing else in all of history. This set of habits and values, as we started to see last week, which kind of ricocheted around the church members and then propelled them outwards, that became so visibly apparent to those outside that they could recognize its members. The word we saw last week, birth, to give some meaning to this new movement, was the word Christian. Today, the word Christian can often, as we saw last week, misinterpreted, can't it? Used in different contexts to mean different things. And so in this series, we're looking at what did it mean? What did it mean for those who originally were defined Christian? What did it mean in terms of how they lived as to what Christian actually meant? And by looking in then at what that word then meant, how might it help us amidst these times to propel us outwards like them in adopting similar practices and habits for today? Last week we began by hopefully understanding the significance of the church in Antioch, this church born in disruption, which became the focal point to to Jesus' words of the growth of the church to the ends of the world. And we'll see that a bit more in the third and final episode of this series. And last week we began exploring the first of the five habits which shaped the lives of those who were called Christians. Those five habits which correspond to five values. You see, what we attend to shapes our lives. We saw last week that first habit was the habit of blessing one another. The church in Antioch were this community of blessing. And we looked at ways in which we could bless today as well as seeing the significance of blessing running throughout the Bible. And the challenge I kind of left us with this past week was to bless three people, one of whom isn't a member of our church. And I'm sure we've kind of got lots of great stories 
of ways in which you might have been blessed, of ways in which you might have found that you were a blessing this, this past week, not just in this building, but maybe watching online, and there'd be a good opportunity, wouldn't it? Maybe to just start our conversations after tea and coffee, exploring how we were a blessing during this past week. You see, one of today's most influential leadership and management experts, John Maxwell, said this, we never change our life until we do something daily. The secret of our success is found in our daily routine. We just think about that for a a minute. If he's only half right, our ultimate destinies, our ultimate identities are determined by the things we do daily. What we attend to shapes our lives. And so today what we're going to look at is we're going to explore these next two habits that kind of defined, that characterized Christianity in its original context. We find them mentioned in verse 26. So it was, they associated with the church and taught a great many people. You see, the second habit evident for me in this church in Antioch were that they, they were people who were hospitable. They were people who would eat together. You see, when we, when we think about it, we, we read, don't we? They're associated with. You know, what do we think that, that word meant? Maybe they're associated with them on a Sunday morning to worship God and pray and receive teaching. Maybe it meant that they're associated with each other during the week to do likewise. But it also goes further than that. You see, the Greek word that we, we translate, that's translated associate with is the word sunego. It's got a far deeper meaning. It meant that you would open up your home to others to entertain, to receive hospitality. I mean, let's just think about it. I mean, we, we read in the text, don't we, that, that Barnabas came first and he came from Jerusalem to Antioch. That's a journey of 300 miles, roughly. So he came first. And he stayed for a while, and then he went up to Tarsus to get Paul. And then we read they stayed for a year. Where do you think they stayed? Do you think they stayed in some some guest house all that time? No, the church would have just opened up their homes to them. It was just an habitual thing to do, to eat together, wasn't it? Practice, hospitality, what we attend to shapes our lives. It's quite interesting, don't we, that we get all these calls at the moment. Don't we, to, um, to open up our homes to the nation that's one of actually the most Christian in the whole of the world. I wonder if we thought about it. I was reading this morning that um, one bishop has even opened up his home. Even the Archbishop of York is, is opening his home as well. No, but where did this idea come from? Where did this idea come from to, to just be hospitable, to just open up your home? And how, how central was it to, to kind of Christianity? Well, let's, let's just think about it. 
Let's just think about it. Let's, let's go up like we did last week in the helicopter. Let's kind of take this panoramic view through the Bible. We'll start in the Old Testament. We'll go into the New. And we'll see if we can work out a pattern. See if we can understand how significant this particular habit, this particular value was in what it meant to be Christian. Well, if we were to do that, we wouldn't have to go very far. That we'd kind of understand very early on how at the heart of God is this idea of community and hospitality. Think of the the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Think of Abraham, who thinks he's entertaining God in Genesis 18 at the Oaks of Mamre with the three visitors, the significant three visitors when you think of God. And he thinks that he's in such distinguished company that all does he want to do, he just wants to serve food, serve drink. You can read about it in Genesis 18. If we carry on the helicopter ride, we wouldn't need to go too much further. In fact, we'd only need to go into Exodus. And what we have outlined in the next couple of books is just this whole series of feasts and festivals that became the bedrock of, of, of Jewish life, that kind of were just in the Jewish calendar, that it was this particular time, so you all went off to Jerusalem. Now think about it, the biggest of them all, Passover. When they reenacted, when they'd been set free from slavery in Egypt. But there wasn't just Passover, was there? I mean, you can, you know, I mean, the Feast of Weeks, We call it Pentecost today. The Feast of Tabernacles that we actually call Harvest a bit misleadingly today because all three of them would have been harvest festivals. But but think about them. And there were other significant festivals, other significant holy days. This whole series running through the year of what it meant to be hospitable. You see, they knew how to feast, didn't they? They knew how to party, didn't they? No, this wasn't an all-day event. You know, like, let's have lunch. This wasn't even like a good all-nighter. This wasn't even like four days in St. Helier to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Often they were week-long affairs. And if we carry on and if we just kind of fly into the New Testament, you know, did... Did Jesus not continue celebrating these feasts? I mean, if we were to just look through the Gospels at Jesus' life. Remember what was he doing in John chapter 7 at the feast of weeks when he said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. And what was he doing on the night before he died? At Passover time when he reenacted the Passover meal with his disciples. You know, if you were to to look at the Gospels and if you were to go through them, you would find that the term that Jesus used more than any other to describe, if you like, his messianic status, the idea of his identity and his mission, was the phrase, son of man. Now, you might think when he uses that term, therefore, it would be quite significant what might then follow. And so he would say these words, the son of man came. And on one occasion he would would say, not to be served, 
but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He said on another occasion, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And then he said, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Significant, wasn't it? You know, go and read one of the gospel of accounts of how many times do we record Jesus eating and drinking with people. With the crowds. With the spectacular, the feeding of the 5,000. He enjoyed it so much he did it again with 4,000, didn't he? With the Pharisees. Think of Simon, the Pharisee. This was a meal you wanted to be at, wasn't it? When the prostitute gate crashed and kind of just poured open the alabaster jar of perfume and washed Jesus' feet. And then with the not-so-distinguished guests that Abraham thought he was entertaining, with the tax collectors and sinners, think of Zacchaeus, think of, think of Matthew, even with the disciples, most famously of all, as I said, in the, as he reenacted the Passover and then gave us a meal to remember him by. We got out that helicopter now. This is why those disciples in Antioch had just modeled their life about being hospitable because the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And so the habit is to do just that. Yes, to be sensible. Yes, some of us might not particularly feel comfortable at this particular time doing that, but kind of that will pass. You know, it's not about the quantity of food. It's not about the cost. It's not about the size. It could be individually or a group. Here's why. Because when you, we know this, when you sit down and you at a table with someone, the conversation changes. You talk about deeper things, hopes, fears, disappointments. The conversation becomes richer. And that was what that community in Antioch was like. That kind of ricocheted out amongst its members and propelled them out. And then, here's the third habit. There were people who would learn Christ. Back to verse 26. So it was they met with the church and taught a great many people. And earlier in verse 23 we read, they were exhorted to remain faithful to the Lord. It's not an expression we use today, is it? To learn Christ. It kind of strikes a bit, doesn't it, as a bit of dry inward-looking academic exercises if I'm about to send you to sleep. Yeah? But hopefully we'll see that this goes beyond mere head knowledge to what the church at Antioch we read lived out with, with steadfast devotion. As Paul would say, how are we transformed? We are transformed in action by the renewing of our minds. Learn Christ. After all, what's a disciple? What does a disciple mean with the Greek word methetus that means learner? 
So go back up in that helicopter for a minute and see how central is this to Christianity? Well, let's just think about it. I mean, what are the first five books in the Bible? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, complete the list for me. Numbers, Deuteronomy. What are they called? Thank you, yeah, you keep going. Very impressive. We could have a competition about it afterwards, couldn't we? We could just see how we, how we get on. The first five books of the Bible are known as the Torah, meaning teaching or instruction. And we wouldn't have to go very far in there before we come across the great rabbi, do we? The great rabbi of the Old Testament, Moses. Every rabbi had their particular brand of teaching, had their particular brand of instruction. They called it a yoke. And it symbolized their teaching. So for Moses, if we think, what was Moses' yoke? Well, it would be in summary the ten words or the ten commandments, wouldn't it? Or the 613 laws of Judaism that they kind of worked out afterwards that became the bedrock, if you like, of Old Testament life. And then to follow that rabbi... It meant that you would keep their yoke. You would keep their teaching. And by keeping their teaching, you would become like your rabbi. Now fly into the New Testament with me. Was Jesus a rabbi? What do you think? Was Jesus a rabbi? Of course he was. Think about it. Think about how many times was Jesus just asked something by someone and they began with the words teacher. Just think about three of the most famous occasions, John 3 with Nicodemus. Think about the preamble to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Teacher. Think about the story of the rich ruler in Luke 18. Teacher. You know, how often in the Gospels, if you were to do a dive through one of them, would you just hear, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. How often would we hear the crowds were amazed at Jesus' teaching? He kind of used all different ways to teach. You could look through them. Most of all, he spoke through stories, didn't he? And he taught through stories. Even after his resurrection, what was he doing on the road to Emmaus? He was teaching, wasn't he? He just opened up their minds as he explained the scriptures of the law and the prophets and understand the significance of who he was running right the way through. And Jesus too had his yoke, didn't he? He had this yoke, his teaching of love, this teaching of the kingdom of God had arrived. Kind of if we want to define that yoke of love in a bit more, it kind of split itself into four areas. It was a yoke of love that said, first come. Come to me, Jesus said, didn't he? He said, come and see. He was saying to people, come and watch as I do. And then that yoke continued with the word take. He would say, take my yoke. As if Jesus was saying, as I do, you now help. Come and play a part and be part of the miracle. Take the bread be part of the miracle and then that yoke continued with the word learn learn from me learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart 
You know, you do, and I'll now help. And then there came a moment when Jesus said, go. And he sent out the 12, or he sent out the the 72. And he said, I'll watch, and you do. You know, come, take, learn, go. You can kind of put them all under one word if you like. It's the word follow. You know, he said those words 77 times in the Gospels. Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. The words actually every aspiring pupil wanted to hear from their rabbi because if the rabbi said those words, the rabbi believed you could be like him, to be a worthy follower. Now imagine Jesus saying those words, follow me. Not back then, but now. Not to others, but to you. Jesus says, follow me. There's no greater, is there? No greater, no higher invitation in life. That's why Paul and Barnabas were just exhorting those, this church in Antioch to learn Christ. You know, in other words, don't just know his greatest hits. You know, don't just know Christmas. Don't just know Easter. Don't just know a few miracles or a couple of parables. You know, get out the whole record collection. Know the B-sides. Know the whole album. You know, like you could tell a fan of a music group because they know all the, all the words, don't they, to the songs. Not just the greatest hits version, but they know the B-sides, don't they? They know that what's the fifth track on the fourth album and they can just quote it to you. Learn Christ by following this habit of taking a moment every week. Take a chunk of time and read at least a third of one of the Gospels. Over and above what you do on a, on a daily basis. Just read a third of one of the Gospels. And keep doing that. Every week, the stories of of Jesus. And what you find is that you'll start to remember things. You'll start to remember the things that Jesus said and the things he did. You know, often we sometimes wonder, what did Jesus say? Or what would Jesus do in the particular situation I find? And then we'll find by doing this, we'll know exactly what Jesus wants us to be and do in each of our individual contexts. We'll live such inquisitive, questioning lives that just like those outsiders looked at the church in Antioch and they they found these things that were so attractive to them. The people will ask the same questions. In effect, we become, like C.S. Lewis said, see little Christs. We become the person Jesus would if he were you. You see, the biggest journey with all of these five habits, it doesn't matter, or any part of Christianity, the biggest journey we all have to take is a repeated one. It's a journey of about 30 centimeters. The journey from our head to our heart. It's actually what it means to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion. To be a disciple. To be Christian. The Jesus way.
Shall we pray together? So let's just take a moment before we stand to sing again to just think. Maybe we might want to begin by thinking about the ways in which someone might have blessed us this past week. And we might just want to say thank you to God for that. Thank you, God. Or the ways in which we might have blessed somebody else. And we might never know the significance of that to their lives and how that might just ripple on. And so we just take the moment now to just think, Lord, who is it that you want me to bless this week? And then when it comes to to being hospitable, who is it, Lord, you want me to open my home to? Who is it you want me to take the opportunity to just eat with this week? Maybe you've been putting it off for a while. And then where's going to be the moment in this next week where you can just read a third or even more of one of the Gospels? Where might be the moment in the week ahead where you can just take that time and commit to reading, to learn Christ? For Lord, above all, we just come to you and we take so much from you and we learn from you, but you then call us to go. And so help us to to follow you. To believe those words that when you say follow me, you believe that we can be like you. And so help us to do that in our daily lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.